The problem with comic books is the ink comes off on your hands. Every time you turn the page, you have to wash your hands. You turn the page, you wash your hands. You turn the page, you wash your hands. And then you turn the page, and, and then you wash your hands. <laughs> They've hurt very much, and um, I'm constantly in the state of wanting to throw up. <laughs> I do see how this bit is my fault. Rocco's modern life. Yeah, yeah, I do see how this bit is my fault because earlier when trying to get a rundown, I did yell from the bathroom. So this is just animated Seinfeld, right? Sure did. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to I Think You'd Be Into It, the podcast about your faves. I'm your host, Brandon Beck. I'm your other host, Beth Scorzato. And joining us today is a uh, reigning champion of the Pack Theater. You know him from uh, Haymaker. You know him from uh, Speedface. May it rest in peace. Uh, you also know him from his new short film, Gone Fishing. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Nick Gligger. Hello. How's it going? Good. First of all, what the fuck was that theme song? Uh, that, that was That a was his perf- attempt to do the Seinfeld theme song, which is <laughs> why I said that bit was my fault. Yeah. <laughs> it did sound a little bit like a vocal seizure, yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I give it a, I give it a ten. Oh, thank you, Nick. That's 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 out of a hundred. Oh, yeah. Better luck next time. You gotta do, you gotta do better to get approval from Doctor Timeface or whatever. That's the fuck. What, yeah, Doctor Timefeet. But guys, really, it is very good to be here. Good to hear your voices. Uh, and uh, let's let's talk some talk some talk some things you should be into. Yeah, it's it's uh, you're you're one of those you're a fixture around the pack theater. And you're one of those people that I, I I often wind up seeing more often on stage than off stage. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Like I, I never got to see Speedface in person, but I was on stage during Speedface Wait, once. Really? Oh, you never saw it in person? Interesting. I just for whatever reason I was never able to make it out. Mm-hmm. But then I wound up being uh, I was in a Speedface bit uh for PacCon I got think, it. but then there was that part of Janiversary where speed for it just sort of became speed face for half an hour. <laughs> yes. Was the, I'm trying to remember what the hell, what that was. Was that me flying solo? Was Palafaro there as speed face or was I hosting? No, this was after Palafaro moved. That's what I, Oh, that's that one. Okay. Yes. And I sang with, with uh, Jonathan show. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, what a fun. Yeah. That was a fun time. That was a fun show. Yeah. I never saw speed face either, but I, I knew Palafaro from the bar. Because as a stage manager, I would I would go to clubs all the time after work because yeah. that's where you would go when you get out of your show at like 1130 at night. Yes. Granted, <laughs> for the listeners who don't know, John Palafero did work at the bar. So that makes sense. Me, you would probably yes. just see me flat out at the bar. Which actually, Beth, I would run into you quite a bit at the bar when we went to yes. um, 
thingamafuck. What do you call that? Back when we were allowed to go places and do yeah, things are, and see people? Uh, the, uh, the Broadwater. The Broadwater. My God. I haven't been to a bar. Nobody's been to a bar. Nobody's going to a bar, right? Don't go to a bar. Nobody's been to a bar. Nobody's been to a bar. Although I still stand by the joke I made the other day of that with the, the considering the length of quarantine, I'm still not sure this isn't a haymaker sketch. Um, this could be a long con. Yeah, this could be a real long be. con. Isn't Haymaker the longest con of all? I think you just answered your own question. I right think there. I think improv is the longest con of all, babe. Uh. Sketch comedy <laughs> is the longest pro- is the longest con of all. Sure, it's, yeah. Um, but before we get oh. into uh, Rocco. Guys, this his... is going to be one of those episodes that I'm just really into the cat during. I'm so sorry. Oh, is oh. that oh, it has nothing to do with our entertainment or the show? Great. Good. Got it. No, yeah, that groan was just about how good this cat is. Oh my mm-hmm. god, this is so great, the cat. Oh, the cat. <laughs> on the, uh, the Mad Men episode, I, uh, I, I recorded him purring and made Brandon include it in the show. Uh, who episode? Who? The Mad Men episode with Kaylee. Oh, Mad Men. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. W- w- were you just doing, like, Trump doing cat ASMR? Because that's kind of what it sounded like. I exclusively do Trump ASMR. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. I hate it. Yeah, it's creepy, right? Yeah, it's, it's, uh. Yeah, I know. It's, well, now we know what we're not into this week, but what are we into this week? Not the RNC. Yeah, no, 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 no. Th- this week, I am into, surprise, surprise, a fun new fish release. So, hello, hey, hi, I'm Brandon, I host this show, so I can talk about- You're still talking about my short fin, that's the film, that's the fun fish release, right? Yes, that is, Good. yes, the Ooh, your, 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 short, your short film, which was recorded, uh, as we all know, at Great Woods in Mansfield, Massachusetts on July 8th, 1994, and just released as an, an archival uh, release on live fish, um- Fish just released a Game Hinge set for the first time. Uh, which Hold on, is, I don't know what that is. That's I, I'm 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 getting there. This okay. this is gonna sound Ooh, like yeah. Absolute, I was gonna say this is this is gonna get. It's gonna sound like right. absolute nonsense. It's like fish that, in Minecraft. Okay, go ahead. I don't even know what runs. <laughs> I mean, kind uh, of, kind of. Yeah, you're <sighs> you're not entirely off base there. So what? How about I explain Game Hinge because it'll probably be a lot more concise. Okay, I would. Uh, I would really genuinely love to hear that, but I'm I'm gonna just just so we're we're clear on what's being uh what's being explained. But he's not gonna let me do it because heaven forbid I'm wrong. Well, no, 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 no. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the setup, but I'm I'm going to get give you the setup of what the release is. Then you can tell me what Game Hinge is. So, um, Fish will often release uh old concerts from the '90s or 2000s or occasionally even. 80s as part of their uh, weekly like let's stream some shows because we can't play shows a uh, webcast called dinner in a movie and they released recently uh, did one from the 90s which was one of two complete performances of game hinge which now uh, I, uh, I turn it over to my lovely co-host Beth to describe game hinge all right so 
when they were in college, basically, or when they were still a very young band, I think it was for, like, Trey's, like, senior project or some shit like that. I don't know. Basically, what it ultimately ended up being is Gamehenge is this suite of songs that kind of tells a story. And it's mm-hmm. this fantasy story, and it starts with this guy. Uh, I think I think Jimmy and Poster Nutbag are part of it. I'm not sure. Nutbag? Did you just say Poster Nutbag? I think it's the name of his cat or his dog. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I, I'm not. Go- I'm not going to give you any help. I'm not going to give you any help here. Okay. Basically, it's this. All right. So Trey and Nutbag are in the band. It's this suite of songs. It's a suite of songs that tells this overarching story of like a fantasy world. I shudder to ask how many how many hours is it? It's I mean it depends on how much they jam it but the They're songs really itself one. a game henge set a game henge set I would say could run you about 40 40 minutes to an hour. Um and that's this one suite of songs. It is distinctly several different like movements different songs but it tells the story it, it's basically a fantasy like story that kind of falls somewhere between like <laughs> animal farm and don quixote uh, <laughs> yeah that sounds like a lot of things. i don't think i'm doing that bad a job all right fuck no, you you're you're doing you're doing a great job i'm just really enjoying myself right now we got nutbag out of it all right <laughs> but anyway i mean that's basically it's basically their like it's their song cycle that tells this one like fantasy story and like if you do like as fish songs go as much as it is like a like quote unquote like weirder set or whatever like the uh-huh. story is pretty clear like as fish sets go and as like fish lyrics and stuff go like the storytelling of it is pretty clear and if you listen to a game henge set in its entirety you understand what they were doing so like as much as it's this unique fish thing it's actually one of the less weird things they've done what did you say it was it was like a mixture of don quixote and and, and daddy-o it's somewhere between uh, animal farm and don quixote oh, yeah, animal farm there you go okay got it because it's about, like, it's essentially about, like, freeing somebody from fascism, but also it's got, like, this high fantasy, like, one man is the savior kind of element. I don't know. It's weird. And lots of guitar solos. There are a lot of guitar solos. Well, I mean, that's that goes without saying. That that was actually really, really spot on. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, they've, they've only ever done, they've only ever played the Game Hinge thing in its entirety, I think, twice. Once was at another show that was sort of legendarily referred to as Game Hoist because they did Game Hinge in the first set and then did their album Hoist in the mm-hmm. second set. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they all of the songs have are a regular part of their repertoire, yep. you know, in d- different levels of rarity. Um, but yeah, that's so they just released a full Game Hinge show on their their streaming service, Sir, Sir, Sir Fish. Um, fishplatter.com. Yeah, yeah, yep. You get a whole platter. Yeah, it's great. It's 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 really. I you know they they call their their merch store dry goods, which I kind of okay. like. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, Beth, I I am I did not go, come into this expecting to like long con you into doing it for me, but I'm really glad that you did. This entire episode is a long con. We've established that. This entire mm-hmm. fucking podcast is a long con. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're here to con each other. Nothing more. Look, man, I don't think I did that bad a job considering I don't pay very good attention. Considering I don't know what the fuck it is, I thought you did a great job. Thank you. 
<laughs> See, that's why I thought it would be better to have somebody who doesn't entirely understand what it is to explain it, because you get way too detailed and, like, get hung up on details that do not matter to someone who doesn't know anything about fish. Yeah, I- I'd get lost talking about Aaron Wolf. Yeah. And uh, the Nobody the cares about the characters. They just want the TLDR, and it's that it is a song cycle about a fantasy world that tells a story. I already forget what it's called, but so Aaron Wolf is one of the Cloister Moist characters. Is that what their suite's called? Cloister Moist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Aaron Wolf is is part of Cloister Moist. Okay. Uh, he rides around on a multi beast, um, and they him. often hang out at the Rhombus. Yeah. You know, with Beowulf and his dick. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. And Wilson, the King of Prussia. Yeah, that's true. In like Pennsylvania. The rom- the rhombus is in uh, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. It's a mall. Yep. So, so, so they're hanging out at the so Cloister Moise is hanging out at Zumia's with ball bag. Yeah. And they're going <laughs> yeah. down to to uh, Oh Charlie's to get a steak sandwich. Do I have this right so far? Pretty much. You're not that far off. <laughs> actually, uh, you know what? Let's let let's actually uh, Nick. I do want to get your your no. full read on on what on. <laughs> No. I would love to not talk about Game Henge anymore <laughs> on this episode, or again, if possible, ever in my life. Um, well, you know, that's what we're here to do on I Game, You Be Hinge to it. No. You want to do a Game Henge episode, babe? You knock yourself out. This week, I... Oh. Oh. Sorry, I'm into this boy again. I looked at him. I can't help myself. Uh, a cat. Nutbag. The cat. I keep looking at the cat again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's poster nutbag. Oh. No. This cat... I, I can't, I can never remember if Poster Nutbag is a cat or a dog or a squirrel. Poster Nutbag is the cat. Harpua is the evil dog. Harpua is the dog. I know that. Okay. Because Harpua is very good. I'm still talking about fish? Yep. Yeah. Well, I, he got to, <laughs> look, you brought up Poster Nutbag again, and then I had to figure out whether or not it was the cat or the dog. Um, Wait, the first name is Poster? Yep. The cat's name is Poster Nutbag. Okay. So hold on a second. Poster Nutbag. Okay. Sounds like a printed poster of balls. That's what that sounds like. How can it not be? Yes. No, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like something that a fucking 21-year-old in college would write and think was funny. And that's exactly yeah. what it is. <laughs> well, that explains everything. All right, so go back to back they, to what Because they were. They were really young when they wrote it. So you have to imagine, like, you think of fish now, but you also have to think about the fact they were writing a bunch of these songs when they were, like, 20. And so all 20-year-old boys think they're fucking hilarious. So that's true. Honestly, if not earlier, they, they wrote, some of them were written in high school. Yeah. Like all my best material. I actually just, I watched just season two of uh, Glow Up on Netflix, which is this, like, uh, makeup artist animation uh animation it's a makeup artist competition show uh which is not like normally my thing but i think that's why i find it so fascinating because it's this thing that like as a woman like i have this tangential attachment to because like i know how to do my makeup and literally no like if somebody asked me to do it on somebody else i'd be like i don't know (laughs) i could do it on me and no one else and i just think it's this art form that i find so fascinating and they they let them do like all these wild challenges and like i don't know it was it was fun nice it was an easy as as like reality show and competitions go um probably because it's british it wasn't as like tense as most american (laughs) reality shows so like it's this art form i find very fascinating and it was like uh, it was a nice like chill there's like 
eight or ten episodes or something like I, I watched it mm-hmm. in like two days in the background while I was doing work but gotcha. since we're, we're in this world right now we're like starting new things feels really overwhelming it was it was a nice like getting some exposure to something new without it feeling like oh god I have to remember all this story and stuff so anyway I, I watched season one when it was out like last year too but I could there's two seasons that on Netflix now and I can re- recommend that to people I enjoyed that this week I, I get it I get it because I can do my own juggalo face paint but I couldn't do somebody else's juggalo face paint exactly and that's why it's a gathering not an aloning of the juggalos jokes aside though like some of the it is like fucking artistry some of the like full things they do and like the line work they manage to do like on a face that is just it's just fucking it's fucking beautiful it's this and it's just this whole thing that i have no skill at that i just it's so cool no totally i don't mean i wouldn't know how the fuck to do contouring and come out there looking like that fucked up jesus painting at that lady room but like but i'm saying like it's not just that like it's it's so fascinating because like it's not just like day-to-day makeup looks it's like a lot of editorial makeup looks or like painting somebody's like entire face and like doing like artwork on it it's like or doing sci-fi or doing prosthetics like it's it's much more than just your like day-to-day stuff you'd see from like a beauty blogger it's it's like the whole world of editorial makeup and it's all this stuff that like it never even occurred to me to be that people do with makeup it's like one of those viral videos where somebody posts like a puzzle piece coming out of their cheek and then there's like space in it there's definitely stuff like that there's like some illusion stuff um but yeah i mean it's it's definitely like it's really cool and if and it's something that like you enjoy just like looking at the artistry of something that is not your world. Like it's, I don't know. It was cool. It's cool. Chill show to watch. Hmm. Anyway, that was my thing. Sounds nice. What was that one that you watched uh, last night where they had to do like some like, like car? I, 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 it wasn't Sonic, but it was something like Sonic. No, that was the same. That was the same show. That was the same show. Okay. So this wasn't, this was a couple nights ago. Actually, one of the challenges I, I fucking lost it. Uh, I started laughing really hard and it was because um, one of the challenges they have, they, they, they often, they do like in like professional setting challenges all the time. Mm -hmm. So one of them was um, this season is there on, they go to the set of Strictly Ballroom or Strictly Dancing, which is like huge in Britain and it's a live show. And Ooh. they each get assigned um, a movie to do a pair of characters from, but like in that style. So it's got to be like semi-literal, but also very big, very glam. And, and it was just the, the selection. This is a live dancing show. It's it's like, um it's like um the one we've got here with Ballroom. Oh, Dancing with the Stars? Yeah, it's similar to a Dancing with the Stars kind of vibe. But the point is each makeup artist, there were four of them left at this point, and they were each assigned a movie. And I lost my mind. I was laughing so hard because the four movies they were assigned um, in in increasing order of absurdity, the, the I think least absurd and most like easy to do a ballroom glam look from was Cabaret, was Sally and MC from Cabaret. Whew, I thought you were going to say Avatar. <laughs> no. Oh, wait, though. Sally, Sally and MC from Cabaret. Next was Austin Powers, was Austin Powers and Vanessa Kensington, which like... That's got a blue character in it. Okay. It's slightly more difficult to translate those two because they're just people. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's more of a costume thing to Uh communicate. Yeah. And then the last two movies that the other two got were fucking the Pokemon movie and Kung Fu Panda. I thought you said they got less absurd. 
two people were doing makeup for like people and then uh-huh. two people had to turn one of them had to turn his dancers into a panda and a tiger and the other one had to turn them into pikachu and ash <laughs> and when this girl gets the pokemon one she just looks at it and she's just like i don't fucking what <laughs> like how do i make pikachu and ash glam like wow should have went with should have went with should have went with charizard you could use all that foil that they were given the characters though they were told which characters it had to be and she was like well guess i'm painting a bitch yellow like it was so funny that's a long con right there do you have anything you're into this week other than you know the world <laughs> well um Gee, now that we've talked about uh, Fister Clock. And Grandpa Bumpus. And yeah, Baba Bumpus, have you any wool? No, sir, no, sir. Wow. That show sounds pretty cool. Uh, what have I been watching? Fucking, um, I'll tell you what I'm into. I mean, what the hell else could I be into? But now that we've talked about things that will alienate the audience, let's talk about things that everyone loves. All Elite Wrestling, Dynamite, on Wednesdays, only on TNT. Hell yeah. You want to talk about the long con, baby? Tony Khan is here for you. And you are getting conned to hell because the marks are getting worked, baby. What's going on on Dynamite? Well, let me fill you guys in a little bit. Absolutely. Tell us. We haven't caught up since we did the wrestling episode. Spoilers. The Elite is on the the, the sticks. They're about to break up, baby. They just kicked Hangman Adam Page out of the elite. What are the Young Bucks going to do? They feel like they can't turn to anyone. Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is showing signs of turning heel. What is Kenny Omega going to do? He won't stop attacking Marco Stunt. Is he working with FTR? What is FTR's motive with Tully Blanchard and Hangman Adam Page? Are they drinking buddies still? Why did they ask him to interfere in the Young Bucks tag team title match why i need to know the answers well tune in on wednesday tune in every wednesday except for the next coming couple wednesdays that have been preempted by the nba playoffs guys i'm telling you if you're not watching all elite wrestling on tnt you need to watch it what separates this from like uh raw or something like that. I, I I know as you are not familiar with Grandpa Bumpus and the Game Hinge friends. Yes. I know all I know about wrestling is uh, Dusty Rhodes is the American Dream. That's literally all I know about wrestling. Well, Dusty Rhodes's son Cody Cody Rhodes is one of the executive vice presidents of All Elite Wrestling. You see, he left the World Wrestling Entertainment Corporation years ago uh, and decided to start this new company along with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks forming AEW, All Elite Wrestling. So it's their own company. He runs it. He's the American nightmare, Cody. And uh, Dusty Rhodes' other son, as you may recall if you saw things back in 97, Goldust is now also in the company as his under his own name, Dustin Rhodes. Oh, I didn't know he was back. Oh, yeah, he's been back. In wrestling. Better than ever. What makes AEW... I think this is a wrestling episode now. What makes AEW better than WWE Raw and all of their other shows is that their uh, commitment to story, long-term storytelling, planning out storytelling, and letting talents be themselves and get themselves over. Get themselves over, meaning... As in organically letting the people cheer or boo them and not actively working against what's happening with the crowd or online because you had a preconceived notion of a story that you wanted to tell. 
and doing that story instead to the detriment of the product and at the fans. Oh, cool. Tune in every Wednesday and then tweet at Alyssa Phillips and ask her how many horsemen there were. Yes, that's right. Yes, that would be Alyssa. Uh, uh, Alyssa's email is is comcast at gmail.net. She will not know the answer, but will get very mad at you for asking. Correct. Correct. So now that we have done our our due diligence and covered uh, the wrestling and the world of Gim Hinge and uh, the makeup show. Let's go back to the 90s. Let's go back to the 90s. Talk about Rocco's modern life. Yeah, see, there you go. That's the show. His fake Seinfeld was much better than yours, babe. Sorry. It, it has been well established that Nick Gligger is more talented with his mouth than I am. Wait, what? Hold on. Okay, that's a sentence. Hey, oh, I like it. I like this. Ooh, <laughs> this is, so I think you'd be into it. After Hours, unbelievable. We actually do have a uh, After Dark episode. Really? Yeah. What'd you guys watch on under uh, on After Dark? Red Shoe Diaries? <laughs> uh, that was that was the one where we talked about polyamory. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's an early episode. Y'all can go back and look it up. I'm not. I'm not doing the work for you. You have the internet. Oh, no, please don't do any work. Make your third. Uh, look it up for you. Mm-hmm. So this was one of the first four Nicktoons, which like set the tone for its whole new programming. Yeah, would have been. It would have been the fourth. Yeah, because I believe the first three were. It was Doug Rugrats. Ren and Stimpy. And then Rocco was the fourth Nicktoon. I think the best Nicktoon. Uh, Agreed. My favorite, literally, I would say even, I mean, you stack it up against even the best, like Breaking Bad and Twin Peaks and all that shit, shit that I love. I mean, you know, old classic, whatever kind of comedies we're talking about. But I really think when I think of like, What's my favorite show? The show that I go back to the most, the show that I think about the most often, the show that I quote, the one that makes me laugh, that makes me think, that makes me feel good, a show that prepared me for adulthood better than a lot of other, whether whether it's media or, or entertainment or, or just fucking real. It's like, oh, here's a here's a economics class. And it's like, you know, dude, let me watch this episode of Rocco where he goes to the DMV and I'll get back to you. Like this show informed me so much as a child through the lens of here's some zany cartoon characters, but get ready because modern life in the real world fucking blows. <laughs> so here's yeah. what we will prepare you for. And, and it's only four seasons. So even though, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I think they just, it was just done, but I, I I think it's good that they knew that it, four seasons done time to fuck off because, you know, I love SpongeBob those first few seasons to death, but no, you know, it's, it's, it's a Simpsons thing. You know, who's really watching a lot of these later seasons anymore, in my opinion, but yeah, it knew, it knew to do four solid seasons. It went away and it came back with the static cling special a couple years ago for the most perfect return in a time where I feel that the show that taught children about the mundanity and the commerce and how crazy everything is in the world and how it doesn't slow down and how you'll work shitty jobs. We'll see in 20 years and do a special about when the world's caught up to that. And you'll see how crazy, insane, overblown, dystopianly fast paced everything is. We'll be there to clean up the pieces again. And they did it again when they came back with Static Kling. I don't know if you guys watched that Netflix special, but it's excellent. Yeah, while also telling, like, a really, like, empathetic story about a trans person. Yes, 
oh, the show always had so much heart and, you know, it, it was poignant. And for, yeah, them to, to tell that story about, you know, if for people, I don't know how familiar people are with the show who are listening, but. Yeah, we should do a quick, like, rundown of, of what the show is. Yeah, we'll come back to Static Cling. So basically, Rocco's Modern Life is the story of a wallaby from Australia who moves to America to start a new life and just, you know, make it in the world. Uh, but he has to deal with the everyday problems of the modern world. You know, whether that's an immigrant coming to a different country or learning how to grow up and be an adult or sorting out your own shit by working dead end jobs that you don't want uh, and making friends and finding love. I mean, it's really just it's a sli- it's a good old slice of life story, but through the eyes of all these anthropomorphic animal characters from the early 90s on Nickelodeon. Yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting choice, especially among that first crop of Nicktoons, most of which were like kind of centered around the various stages of of being a kid. Mm-hmm. Like Doug was sort of about being a tween. Yep. Rugrats was about, you know, being in your 30s. Um, and uh, Rocco. Oh, dude, that's all I will say. Sorry to interrupt you, but I will say you're absolutely right. Because if you go back and watch the early episodes of Rugrats now, the parents are the funniest fucking part. And they guaranteed they were all in their 30s in that show. So, yes, you're right. You're absolutely a thousand percent right. I've seen the uh, the images of Stu and Dee Dee Pickles having that fight like in the middle of the night, like over the stove, just looking exhausted and thinking like, oh, yeah, that is absolutely accurate. <laughs> But Rocco was the first one that really sort of felt like it was it, it wasn't about one of the stages of being a kid. Like it felt like it was, you know, and, and all the satire of it was very much aimed at a sort of kid height, but yes. was still very just like very accurate and very real to the sort of like, you know, pitching a series about the minor indignities of life for your kids network seems like a dodgy preposition. Right. Uh, proposition. Um but yeah, they nailed it. Yeah, Rocco took a lot of what, you know, the grotesqueness and the innuendo of Ren and Stimpy, but yes, absolutely shot it just high enough that it had, it was it was for kids still, uh, clouded under a lot of adult humor, but but with, with a, a, a heart. Yeah. I was reading up on it earlier and it said that one fifth of the audience when it aired was adults. I believe that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, with a heart and an empathy that I that I say made it would make it more uh, accessible for adults and kids to watch together or separately, rather than just like, oh, what's this this fucked up Ren and Stimpy snot bubbles burbling out of their boils? Turn that bullshit off, you know. I think Rocco has aged better than Ren and Stimpy has, and and, and a lot a lot of that might have to do with the sort of specter of John Kay. For sure, that doesn't help. He's kind of been like, as we've, we've been doing this retrospective of, of animation, we've covered a lot of stuff, kind of from... We've basically covered all the eras of, of Nickelodeon, and John Kay, his his influence there is is undeniable, but it's also just like this specter hanging over it that like really puts so much of that that work into just this really unbearable darkness that is kind of hard to escape from. And and Rocco thankfully doesn't really have that. 
Like everything I've heard about Joe Murray is that he's super nice. You know, I so I got to meet Joe Murray a few years back, some years back, uh, and I they the entire cast actually, from what I could tell, a very 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 nice, very fairly humble fellow he seems. Um, because you know, I mean, he's been working throughout the years. He said Camp Laszlo and some other hits, but I mean, once Rocco kind of, kind of once it got canceled, he kind of just went away for a while like it felt anyway i know i'm sure he was always working on things but it did, did seem like he just kind of went away but yes some years ago uh back in boy we're coming up on that time already it was early october of 2012 uh they did a rocco live uh event at the downtown independent theater and it was the whole cast it was joe murray and the whole voice cast all the main guys uh hosted by rob paulson oh damn they did <clears throat> a live Q&A. They talked about time on the show, working on it. Um, they did a live reading of like the first half of Wacky Deli uh, and then signed posters and took pictures. It was like one of the best. I had been living in L.A. for two about two years. It was just like one of the best highlights of my life. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was very cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So uh, Rocco, do, do you feel like Rocco had a, a deep influence on your like sense of satire. Cause I feel like it really taught our generation particularly about satire in, in a way that like a lot of those other shows didn't. I, I, yes, I absolutely believe it has. Yeah. For me personally, it's greatly informed my voice of my comedic voice, not only because of like everything is <laughs> everything is so absurd and seemingly out of your hands that you might as well just expect the worst and be happy. You know what I mean? That's kind of what I always got out of it. That might, that might as well be the thesis of, of Rocco. Yeah. And that's kind of how I live my life and I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing fine. I mean, it very much is a, a series about just like kind of maintaining um, when, when just everything feels so, so shaky. It's, it's also mm -hmm. interesting watching it, now when so many of those little you know minor indignities of life seem downright quaint uh oh, when yeah. you're in the middle of a global pandemic, pandemic and like the idea of going to like right before we recorded we watched the movie theater episode the best and like the idea of going to a, a movie theater now is is terrifying but also just watching it was like oh oh yeah i guess it is a little a little bit of of normalcy and that normalcy is being, like, wedged between an elephant person's ass. Right, right. Yeah, come on in, honey. There's plenty of room. Uh, they're in that little <laughs> fucking, that little screening room. Dude, that sh that episode is great. Those Not only is it, like, hilarious, you, as you said, you get all the little indignities of everyday life, waiting in line, sticky shit on the floor, uh, you know, an, an unhelpful staff not being able to find a good theater that you're comfortable in. But also then on top of that, the fake trailers are great, too. They're so funny. They're just little mini sketches in their own right. That's a great episode. Oh, yeah. And they, they all of them still hold up because they're all about like crass tie ins. Right. And sequels. Uh, the one that really killed me this time that I that didn't I didn't clock as much when I was younger was uh Dracula done to death. Oh yeah, of course, because it's it's been done to death. Which was just s some vampire hunters opening Dracula's coffin, and he's already just been staked and is a skeleton. Yeah, yeah, because they've made ninety versions of Dracula. Yeah, and like 
when we were when we were prepping for this, uh, Beth sort of just tried to ask. Beth asked me sort of like what the essentially premise of the show was. Did you guys watch the show a lot when you were young? I I, I did. Listeners of the show will know this, but Nick, I didn't really, I wasn't really allowed to watch TV as a kid. So like, there's a lot of this stuff that I just, I knew of because it was in just the pop culture or like my friends watched it, but I never really got to sit down and watch these when they were airing. Were you in a household where like you couldn't watch certain adult themed edgier feeling things or nothing at all? Um, no, not really. There were like very specific shows I was allowed to watch. Just, like, across the board. Um, and, like, it was it was fine. It just means that, like, a lot of these conversations that feel really ubiquitous to, I feel like, a lot of my contemporaries, I just don't really have a context on because I didn't watch them. Gotcha. I didn't watch them as they aired, and the ones I have seen have been so scattered. Got it. Um, so, like, I, I know, I... When I asked him that, I was like, this is, this is what I'm remembering. I was like, it's like a, it's, that's why I joked. I said, it's Seinfeld, but animated, right? And I said, but it's, it's basically adult. It's a satire of adult problems in the nineties. Except it's about something. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and another thing about. Stop. It's not funny. And it's not good. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, and another great thing about the popcorn pandemonium episode, the one, the movie theater one is that. The whole, which is, it's oddly fitting now that you're talking about the pandemic. It's oddly fitting is that at the beginning, Rocco's whole thing is he just wants to go to a drive-in. And the theater they're in is a disaster. They can't find anything that they want. And then at the end, it becomes a drive-in because Filbert, who in that episode was a character, but not necessarily Rocco's friend yet, is working at- Yeah, I think that was his first appearance, wasn't it? Yeah, it might be. Blows the theater up with the popcorn, and then it creates a drive-in. So go figure. We the Something else they called. Now we're back to going to drive-in movies. Um, But but the, the thing I said to Beth is that like a lot of the premises of these episodes are just, they go to the movies. Mm-hmm. They go to the mall. They buy a vacuum. They like, there's not a, they aren't dramatically all that complex because they do just kind of amount to here's the laundry list of annoying things about uh, the movies or the mall or camping. Yeah, like when he wants to, like you said, when he goes to the mall and all he wants to do is buy a new TV and he keeps clicking on like the little touchscreen to buy the Mr. Sensible TV and they keep giving him like a giant big screen and as he's trying to fix it, like they keep adding on more and more and more and it's a stereo system and receivers and all this shit. So by the time he walks out of there, he's got like this massive wall of TV shit, which is like just, that's how upselling works, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that's that I think is, is how a lot of, kids probably learned about that yeah you know like like i i i know that this show sort of helped you know formed my like i get like weirdly wary about like like when i feel like i'm being sold to like timeshares just put my hackles up in like a really intense way and i think a lot of it has to do with like this show and seeing like you know the sort of worst case scenarios play out in a way that that's both funny, but also feels real. When I was doing my research for the episode, uh, I saw some quotes with Joel Murray about how much he did really want to focus on like teaching kids about consumerism and upsells and all that kind of stuff. And um, one of the ways he did that was through the theme of everything in the show being like, Oh, in that he said he loved the American consumerism 
idea of like tub o noodles or something o something and yeah. reducing it to its most like basic commodity when it's really just a thing but that america is always all about volume and so he liked making all of the corporate america things about volume and that's why it's called o town because everybody in this town works for this one big corporation corporate o right well and that's why that's why the yeah conglomos uh mantra mantra on the side of the building is conglomo we own you yeah yep like it's built in to the entire fabric of the city like he was not subtle about it <laughs> right right speaking of um our sponsor this week is conglomo yes conglomo they own us we own you there is a bit uh season what's it season three episode uh the episode is called and again, talking about real issues too. This, I'm probably all over the place with this, but another one of my favorite one of my favorite episodes is called "Closet Clown." Uh, definitely seems like an allegory for just flat out coming out, because that's kind of what the whole episode is sort of is sort of about. Is that Ed Bighead? I'll talk about the episode. Then I'll go back to why it made me think of Conglomo. But the whole episode is pretty much about Ed Bighead deciding and realizing that he is a clown, that he want, that he he enjoys being a clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mr. Dupet at Conglomo tells him, like, there's nothing wrong with it. Just be a clown. So Ed is out doing all these birthday parties and, like, moonlighting and daylighting as a clown doing parties. Doesn't tell Bev Bigheads, trying to keep it a secret from everyone starts coming in late at night and like it's so he's like it's a it's like this entire story about this guy trying to be who he is living this double life it's really wow. really layered and insane once you like when once you really look at it's a very basic story and the episode is hilarious but the story it tells of like yeah it's so blatantly obvious like the title card for the episode it's like closet clown it's ed in the clown suit and makeup behind clothes in a closet like it's it's wow. bonkers how on the nose it is, but like still told from a really well written and still funny way. Yeah, like from what I remember that episode, because uh, I've definitely seen it, but not since I was like however old. And One of my favorites. I, I I remember it be it like feeling sad in a way that I had never. Like, it is kind of sad and in, in, felt yeah. a cartoon be before, but also like at the end, kind of hopeful. Yes, they they do. They, they land on a little rainbow joke and then they chase Rocco off screen. It's it's a little interesting, the end joke, but it's still it's it's it's, yeah. it's on brand for what they were going for, you know? Yeah. And, and like, clearly, uh, Static Cling was not the first trans story they tried to tell on this show. Um, but like, yeah, it's it's I, I think the thing that makes Rocco worth coming back to is that it, it does always have a little bit of hopefulness to it even though it 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 makes the modern world feel so oppressive and overwhelming but like as long as you have your friends and your dog you know and just kind of you know a little bit of a you know can do wallaby spirit stay true to yourself yeah yeah like that like everything will probably be if not okay at least fine Mm mm-hmm uh, back to the conglomo stuff, because that's why I did originally bring that up, because I, again, the consumerism of 2020 we live in. Um, yeah, the best part of, though, <laughs> it's almost so inconsequential for the rest of the episode, but like, oh, now that I think there's even, there's even a couple of them. So <clears throat> conglomo is, all the conglomo stuff's great. Um, but some of the best bits are at the beginning of Closet Clown, 
they just cold open cut to they're in the conglomo boardroom right up top. And Mr. Dupet has them doing like the banana fana foe thing for their name. And that's like what they're doing in the meeting. Anna, Anna, Bobana, banana, fana, foe. That I know. And the one guy, it's, oh my God, it's so funny. He's like, um, he's, oh, all right, thank you. We will now hear from Heathwood. Heathwood. And he goes, ah, uh, Heathwood, uh, foe Farnack. Don't wait. And he ejects him out the window. He's like, you're fired. <laughs> he just hits a button and he flies out the, the window and so they're doing this whole bit about like they just have to go around the conference room table doing the banana fan. It's yeah. hilarious. There's there's that. What's some of the other great conglomo stuff? Oh, the one that where- feels like it could have been a bit in like the Hudsucker proxy. Oh, no doubt. It's very much like that. There's the other one where Ed Bighead is so overworked. Is it she's the toad? Yeah, it's she's the toad. Ed Ed gets so overworked. And like his eyes just explode and he's like had a mental, it's essentially like, again, it's their version of he's had a mental breakdown. He's overworked. He's overrun. He can't work anymore. So Bev doesn't know what to do. So she just kind of swoops in and takes Ed's job and like turns conglomo completely around. But behind this, there's this bit where Filbert and Heifer build a Mr. Big Head costume out of like cloth and balloons and like a toilet <laughs> scrubber for a hand. And they're like walking around as like in the, the one same costume rolling on wheels. They're like conglomo and everybody's stopping him like, oh, hi, Mr. Big Head. And uh, they're doing this whole bit. Uh, it's it's just so funny. Like they don't realize that it's not Mr. Big Head and they punch a guy and they 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 fool everybody to, to getting all the way up into the very top of the, the building and having like a proposal and. Mr. Dupet's like, Big Head, you're a genius. And then they reveal themselves in the costume. And then in the end, it ends with them driving the building away and everybody says, wee wee. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of those, a lot of those cartoons would tend to end on uh, something of of an absurdity. Oh, absolutely. Or just like, well, we need it. We need a way out. Honestly, they're kind of sketch comedy endings. Oh, all the time. They kind of are. They're like, well, we're just ending like this. Yeah, you got to get out somehow. Is this the show, I got to ask, I don't remember if it's this one or Ren and Stimpy. Is this the one with the rubber nipples? That's Ren and Stimpy. That is Ren and Stimpy. He had a rubber, I only know about that because Brandon had an action figure of the rubber nipples guy. And when we were in college, he had to tell me what it was. Mm-hmm. Babe, I would prefer you not air my uh, my fetishes on TV. We, we, when I went home to his his family's house in North Carolina, I, I saw this action figure and I asked what it was. And 20-year-old Brandon just fucking explained it to me and we kept dating anyway. Uh Oh, that's was it the was it the the Mr. Horse rubber nipples or the dad rubber nipples character? It was Mr. Horse. Mr. Horse. It, it. it was Mr. Horse. He did not come with uh, the call the police walrus. Yeah, the the uh, rubber walrus protectors, uh, which might be the single darkest joke that's ever been on Nickelodeon. So funny. That's still a great joke. That's still a great joke. That is still that. That's the tough. The tough thing with Rin and Stimpy is there's there is so much good stuff well, in there. There is. There is. I mean, you know. I think the sort of like general grossness, both both of of that show and then of the sort of like Klasky Supo uh, mm-hmm. style, like that and Ah uh, Real Monsters, I don't think has aged as as well as Rocco has. I do want to find though the sentence that I read you that you were like, "Wow, that word's doing a lot of heavy lifting." <laughs> 
which one where was it oh i was when i was again when i was doing research for this um it was talking about how this show was jointly produced with games animation and joe murray's uh studio but games animation was like just starting prior to that nickelodeon didn't really have its own in-house animation studio yes but it says uh after after incidents with the Ren and Stimpy show creator, Nickelodeon began to not trust its creators as much and began to form its own studio. And Brandon was like, wow, Incidents is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Yep. Another, uh, what was I just thinking? I'm trying to think of like other just like, oh, what's what feels current for Rocco? Another one, and you know what? I haven't even watched this election cycle. It's been a little while. I've not watched from season four. It's uh, Ed Good, Rocco Bad, where Ed runs against Rocco for dog catcher. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. And like, so the Chameleon Brothers <clears throat> get together with Rocco and try to, uh, they, they, or I mean, Mr. Bighead um, hires the Chameleon Brothers to like overdo, like, over, like make over his entire look. Uh, so he can get elected. They're the the French lounge lizards, yeah, right? Yeah, they go. You know those guys, and uh, yeah. So they uh, they they build him like these. They put like a, a like hair on him and build out these big shoulders for him, and that's like his entire thing because he now has big shoulders. <laughs> he wins. So he's like da- he's like David Byrne and stop making sense. Well, I was gonna say he's yes, he looks like that. I was gonna say he's like elections now, but yes, it's absolutely. <laughs> David Byrne in the big suit. Which they did straight up do in Doug. Yes, they did with banging on a trash can. <laughs> Drumming on a streetlight. Um, if, if you, and this might be, I, I know that this might be a, a big, a big ask. If you had to pick a favorite episode or two, what would they be and Why? It's tough, and I was thinking about that before we... And believe me, I can name about a bunch of them, which some of the ones I've named oh, I'm sure. are my favorites. Like, there's there's other great ones. Like, I See London, I See France, which is a great travel episode. Very quotable. The bus driver's hilarious. There's a great wrestling tickets episode where they just drag Rocco through town to get these wrestling tickets. Um, but I think if... I You know, I know... And I know a lot of people love, like, Zanzibar, for instance. Like, like if it's not Wacky Deli... I feel Zanzibar is the most popular. That's the spring cleaning, spring cleaning. You know that one? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like their musical episode. That's a hugely popular episode, and rightfully so. Yeah, I think it's Zanzibar is a classic, but... Oh, I get the pun now. <clears throat> yes. But my favorite, um, my favorite episode would be I Have No Son. Oh, that's a good one. Which is about... Ralph. Ralph Bigget, thank you. I have no son. This episode introduces his son, Ralph Bighead. I know, because we kept talking about Static Cling. Boy, I sound like a real poser now. Because we kept talking about um, Static Cling, I kept thinking, Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. But hey, maybe That's that, true, yeah. that means it's working. Yay. So yes, Ralph Bighead, uh, the entire episode of I Have No Son is, I, I think I think it's the best one. Because it's about, first of all, it's got the fatheads in it which is Ralph Bighead's show essentially based on his parents, but like these, these characters that he creates that are their own. Like, I guess, I guess it would be real, even though it's a cartoon in the show, but it's like this, this hit sitcom that he created all about these grotesque looking characters called the fatheads. The show is like, it looks like you can't do that on television. It's like pure nonsense. A little bit. If it was like the Honeymooners, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. It is definitely like that. 
Um, but it, it's the, the the whole episode is is Ralph has gone on to Hollywood to create the Fatheads, and he's Hollowwood. Excuse me, he's gone to Hollywood to, to do it, do a have a life in animation, a career in animation, and he creates the Fatheads. Um, but Ed and Bev are having like their anniversary and they want, they're having like a big, you know, huge celebration, a big family reunion. And they want um, Ralph to come back. So Rocco and uh, Rocco and Filbert go to, they, they go to Hollowood to get Ralph back and bring him to, and it's like, I'm rambling, but it's this whole, also it's so hot in my room because I shut the window and turned the fan off so you can hear me. I'm sweating my balls off yeah same i'm in a fugue state right now so anyway they go to to scoop up ralph and bring him back for the big big uh big head family reunion it's a uh wedding anniversary i'm reading the summary it's the big head's 30th wedding anniversary okay i thought it was a family well the whole family's there yeah that would make sense yeah and so they go get him from hollywood and bring him back and then we learn this entire story it's essentially it's literally just joe murray's story about going to Hollywood to be an animator and you know, whether or not he has a, an estranged relationship with his father, I don't know, but that's the whole story is, is they tell the story of why Ed said the phrase, I have no son and why he disowned him. And then them coming back together at the end and being like, I love you dad. So it's a really, really heartwarming, well-told episode that it's funny because it's like, we're people who work in entertainment. And so we know Hollywood and the, the facade of how stupid everything is. And then also um, it's, it's got the, the fathead stuff peppered in. And then at the very end, Ralph created like a fake Rocco character to put at the end. And everybody's in on the gag except for Rocco. Oh yeah. And Rocco is, yeah. Everybody laughs except for Rocco who sees the character as a travesty of himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a fucked up beaver. Uh, it's great. Yeah. It's a uh, named Rolo, an Australian Rolo. beaver. Oh, great. Here comes that disgusting neighbor of ours, Rolo. And then they've always got the one guy in the background, like as the laugh track, just going. (laughs) It's great. Fun fact, Brandon, this is the first one to air with that B-52s version of the song. I think it's a season two premiere, right? Yeah, it's the first episode to air in 1994. Got it. Well, because I was, again, when I was doing my research, I he was like, oh, I was listening. He was watching an episode from the first season earlier, and he was like, I was wondering why the theme song sounded different, but it turns out they didn't, the B-52s didn't do the theme song until the second season. Yeah, not until the second season. Yep. Yeah, which, which I, at first I thought it might have been one of those, like, oh, could they not get the rights to it? So this is just like the, you know, slightly more MIDI version that they, that they play. But no, I just hadn't gotten there yet. Right. But yeah, no, you're right. This is season two, episode one. Is I have no son. But the uh, the there's a who who voices uh, Mr. Bighead? I know you said it earlier, Nick. Charlie Adler. Charlie Adler. He does Mr. and Mrs. Bighead. Yeah, he does them both. Yes. Um. Yeah. Charlie Adler is 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 a a genius, and one of the line readings that for whatever reason that is stuck with me to the point where I probably hear it in my head two three times a week if I'm, like, frustrated or upset, is, I have no son. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought you were going to say his alternative one, which is just, I hate my life. Oh, that, that, is, a good, that is a good one. Um, That's a classic. Yeah, but, yes, I have no son is, is a classic as well. Yeah, for, for whatever reason, it's, it's just one of those, like, lines that has lodged itself in my subconscious that, like, 
I couldn't have told you what episode it was from. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that that episode was called that. I thought yeah. that happened in Wacky Deli. <laughs> no, no, they are similar. And now Wacky Deli, don't get me wrong. Like I said, that is a very funny one. That one is full on absurd with oh, yeah. the way that they do like the, 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 the cartoon and how screwed up the cartoon is that they make. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's another one, too, about all about Hollywood frustration. Like it's he just keeps failing upwards and all he wants to do is quit. But they keep making a worse show. But the people keep loving it more because it's worse. Like, yep. it's so funny. Did you ever see that movie, the the TV set or the television set? Um, the one that stressed you the fuck out? Yup. David Duchovny is in it as a TV writer who sells a pilot. And it's just watching it get dismantled and made worse and worse and worse over an hour and a half while he, like, physically declines. Oh. Um, and the, like, head executive is Sigourney Weaver, um, which was a part that wasn't written for a woman, but they cast her and then just didn't change a word. Um, but it, it's basically the same plot as Wacky Deli. The TV set, huh? What year is this from? Oh. Uh, it, was, it was from, like, around... It was, like, mid-2000s. It was uh, co-written yeah. by Jake Kasdan, who... And I think maybe directed by Jake Kasdan as well, who uh, did Walk Hard, the uh, right. most beautiful poem of the 20th century. I do recall this, like, DVD cover. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's real good, but stress, very okay. stressful. Um, Another thing I did want to talk about, just because I wanted to kind of tie this back into we um the we did a kids animation episode earlier in this like animation series we're doing um and one of the things we talked about there was how uh the adventures of flapjack um ultimately ended up spawning a lot of other shows from its like creative staff and i feel like for and that was kind of that was kind of what spawned a lot of i think the growing slate of animation in the early 2000s and these four nicktoons are I think kind of served that same purpose for the '90s in oh, a really yeah. big way, and Rocco in particular from Rocco's Modern Life stuff. You end up with uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, you yeah. end up with Angry Beavers, and you end up with Phineas and Ferb, yeah. which are like three big ones for mm-hmm. later on. And I just it's I I just find these the, this like era of Nicktoons from like a historical perspective very interesting. Right. <laughs> SpongeBob, yeah, no doubt SpongeBob would have never have gotten made if it wasn't for this show. Um, and by the way, I don't know if you, just a, a side note, uh, once we're able to actually return to going out into the world again, um, Tom Kenny, who is the voice of Heifer, uh, and went on to be SpongeBob. Have you guys ever seen his live band? Oh, oh, um, I forget what they're called. I've always wanted to. They're called Tom Kenny and the high and the high seas. Yeah. I I've, I've heard some live recordings of them, but I've, I've never gotten to see them. They play just like throughout like Burbank. They're fucking awesome. They're so sense. much fun. They're so much fun. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I met him very, very briefly at Comic-Con yep. like eight years ago at the like. He's a very nice guy. Oh, yeah. It was at, it was at the Shout Factory booth, which is like this was the size of my desk for some reason. And there and the he was just like hanging out at the booth. And there were like three kids in front of me who were so excited to talk to Spongebob yeah. and then I just rolled up and was like, hey, uh, Mr. Show was really important to me. Thank you. And he was like, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, no, he's a really nice, he's a really nice guy. Always talks to people and yeah, yeah, he, he's great. Oh yeah. And like the, the cast of this show uh, along with the creative team is like, it, it's insane looking at it now that it's some of the 
best voice actors in the industry who are still working now and oh, are yeah. still, you know, Tom Kenny is the star of as many shows now as he was then, if not more. Oh, he runs the gamut on animation. And and yet it like is somehow not the like biggest star in Hollywood. Well, I mean, kind of is. You just don't know that he is. And he probably prefers it that way. You know, you can sort of live your life and people who know you know you. But, you know, you don't have to you don't have to get hounded getting out of your car. I mean, this show for sure launched his career, though. Like, Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Oh, totally. And uh, and then, of course, I still think the MVP of the show, we're talking the voice cast MVP of this entire show. It's kind of Mr. Lawrence. Uh, who does Mr. Lawrence play on this? Mr. Lawrence is the voice of Philbert, and he's a writer as well on the show. Some of the best, and again, I, I guess the Philbert voice gives you that, but the sort of the sarcasm and the deadpan of Philbert makes for some like genuine wow. classics in this show. I, he, he's all over cartoons too. I have really, really good like voice dar. I had no idea that Philbert and Plankton are this like the idea of, of both of those voices coming out of the same person just like does not track for me. That's wild. Yeah, he's, he's Plankton. Well, I mean, this entire voice cast is super talented. One of the one of the quotes I saw about it was Tem- Tom Kenny saying that, you know, watching watching Adler have a conversation with himself without any cuts was like one of the most dazzling things he's ever watched. Like <laughs> he's, he's on another level. I mean, Charlie, Adler, if you've ever seen him live or do videos or anything, yeah, he's on another fucking planet. Like the voice cast is just so stacked. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And like, I, I always like it when, uh, and this is maybe just because of who I am. I always like it when writers also show up in the voice cast. Oh yeah, sure. Because I mean, they're gonna know the shit better than a lot of people. Oh, totally. And it's if it's um, funny to them, that's only gonna come out in the performances. Oh, totally. And like, honestly, I I, I can't think of uh, looking back on it now a single show we've talked about over the course of this run that didn't have that. That didn't at least have you know a couple high ups on the creative team also doing the voices, like uh, Lord and Miller being like half the cast of Clone High. Um, wow, you know, when you, it's almost like when you do a series, you can start to put ideas together across multiple episodes. Huh. Hmm. Weird. Almost like that long-term storytelling I was talking about on All Elite Wrestling, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. only on TNT. Uh, so you just let him tire out, Beth? Is that how that works? Yeah, pretty much. Cool, got it. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, Nick, Nick Ligger, is there anything else uh, in or regarding Rocco's modern life that uh, we haven't covered that you would like to discuss before we wrap up? I just think that if, you know, if you got, if you're foolish enough to have children, <clears throat> plunk your kids down on the floor or on the couch, take that iPad screen away from them, tell them to go outside, make them come eat dinner. Then make them clean up and put them down in front of a different screen, a television screen. And if you want to do it on challenge mode, make them watch it on VHS. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Ask your three-year-old in the year 2020 to understand tracking. (sighs) But I do. I think that you should, I think people should make their children watch this show and shows like it 
because some of the things that I see are pretty dumb and people are dumb enough. So watch the show. And if you're 20, 30, 40, whatever the fuck something, and you haven't watched the show in a long time, uh, revisit it. You can find some of the episodes online. I know it's on some service. I've got the, the downloads and the DVDs and all that jazz, but you can find a lot of them on YouTube. I think you can daily motion YouTube. And there, there's a, uh, thing on Amazon called, I think Nick plus that I think has them. And, um, and you can also get them for 99 cents each on iTunes. I'm not going to sit here on this public podcast and advocate for pirating. I would never know how that works. I, yes, I don't either. If you want help torrenting some, uh, some Rocco, uh, slide into my DMs. I'll, I'll, I'll help anybody out. Thank you. Um, but yes, everybody should watch this show. And if you haven't seen it in a long time, revisit it. Uh, ask the show to ask me, or you can ask me at Nick Gligger, N-I-C-K-G-L-I-G-O-R on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, I'll recommend episodes for you. Um, there you go. And also check out Static Cling too. And Beth, if you want a couple of extra episode recommendations for the show, yeah. I, mean, I know I mentioned some, but I'd be happy to send you like a top like seven and a half. Absolutely, man. Hell yeah. Great. Hit me up in the email. I'll watch it. And him. I still can't believe I couldn't think of all the names Ralph Bighead in that moment. So <laughs> probably gonna get <laughs> That's un- all right. I'm gonna get blown up on Twitter. I once did a, a job interview where I could not remember the term spreadsheet <laughs> for half an hour. Just like I words can't. I somehow got it, which was baffling to me, but you like see like you looked over and you were looking around for twenty minutes, and you saw a guy like putting peanut butter on a piece of bread, and you're like, uh, spread, and you're looking around for like, five, and then a guy's laying on a couch covering himself up, and you're like, blanket. Ah, fuck. Yeah. That's not it. I gotta. I'm close. <laughs> and then I got permanently canceled for being a creep. Oh. Well, what were you doing in those people's house? What were you doing in their house? <laughs> They were just trying to make sandwiches and take a nap, and you were just in their living yeah, room. You're in their house trying to get a job. What's wrong with you? Yeah, you know, in hindsight, nice house. Can I work here? In hindsight, this is uh, this is maybe my bad. <laughs> hindsight, that's maybe my bad. Uh, Nick Gligger, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, guys. Thank you very much for having me. You know, I, yeah. I give you sh- I give you guys shit all the time, especially you, Brandon, because I think you guys are a okay and swell. So thank you very much for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. Aww. A lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks, bud. We we got your handles, but is there anything else you want to plug? I know that's kind of hard in this time of nothing happening, but we do give people the option. <laughs> uh, b- b- bullshit. You can uh, hit up those same handles, those same love handles that I gave you if you want to check out the Gone Fishing short that we just put out. And our uh, other uh, friend of the pod, former guest, uh, Jasper Sams is in that with you as well. She was on our Hey Arnold episode. She is. God, she's great. She's the best. She's awesome in it. She's awesome in everything. She the the fact that she's not a superstar is 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 baffling yeah. to me. Um, it's a baffling world. Yeah, kind of the point of Rocco's modern life. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Speaking of baffling, you can find me across the internet at Hell Yes Brandon. Um, I, it's the same. It's the same shit as always. Uh, happy Sappy Grown Up Hour is live at twitchtv theater on the third Wednesday of every month. Um. Inkblot has some some tracks on SoundCloud and some uh, fun live sets on YouTube. I've got my own SoundCloud. I've got some uh, videos I've I've been making that I've been putting up on uh, YouTube uh, recently, including a weird Counting with David Lynch thing I made. Um, 
yeah, I, that's I don't have anything else to to plug other than heat stroke. Okay, bye. <laughs> Let's get a All right, more. Uh, my uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, I got distracted by myself for a second spreadsheet uh you can find me all over the internet at (laughs) at b scores um with an underscore at the end um well i was looking up if the movie that i had worked on is out if i could plug it but i think it's maybe just the trailer is out still so that was what i was looking up at least you got a trailer out of yours well it's a full feature so they made a trailer yep you worked on mulan right absolutely not are you kidding babe i would love to have worked on a real big disney thing no i worked on an independent that parodies bernie sanders life um it's fine uh it's called free lunch express it's coming out soon that's why i know i was like oh maybe it's out but it's not bernie sanders parody movie kind of it's look i'm not explaining it well i'll send you the trailer uh but uh it's Anyway, you can find me all over the internet at, at bscores with an underscore at the end. Um, I don't really have anything to plug. And you can find the show online at, at IntuitPod on Twitter. You can follow the hashtag IntuitPod on Instagram, which is also an easy way to find me. Uh, we're also on Facebook, if you choose that. Uh, you can check out our link tree, uh, which you can find in all of our profiles if you want to see all the different ways that you can listen to this show, because we are on a ton of platforms. I mean, if you're listening to it at this point, you've probably found one, but I don't know. Maybe it wasn't your preferred platform. You never know. We might be somewhere else, too. Uh, And, yeah, thank you, as always, to Kalen West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting Over is a lot like giving up off the album Falling is Like Flying. She's also got a lot of rad stuff that she's been putting out during the pandemic. Go check out Tiny Stills. That's all I got. Awesome. Hey, guys, can I leave you with one final word of wisdom? Absolutely. Garbage day is a very dangerous day. Hell yes, it is. Well, Nicholas Gliglis, thank you for uh, uh, joining us today. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, guys. And uh, all that being said, turn the page, podcast over. Turn the page, podcast over. Turn the page. Turn the page.